Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Hello and welcome to the show. It's been a busy seven days and we will bring it all to you this week. Big Bash Finals, England in the T20 and we will start the build-up to the County Championship. We're going to start the first of a new series as well. Studio interviews this week. Owe Shah, Goffey and I talking in depth with one of the biggest names in the sport. And this week's Test of Time takes me back to 1996 in England's tour of Zimbabwe. And I'll be joined by a very good friend of mine, Robert Croft. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Right with me, as usual, from down under, is Jonathan Norman. Hi, Johnny. Mm. Don't call me Jonathan. You sound like my mum. Jonathan. <laughs> I love Johnny. <laughs> no I've one, always called you no Johnny. Since called... our football World Cups and European oh. Championships together, oh, mate. we've I've always Back called in... you Johnny. I'll not say the you other have. two words, but I was uh... gonna say you can't say the other bit, can you? <laughs> <laughs> it's been Johnny. Listen, interesting uh, a week indeed. Uh, we've seen England's T uh, twenty uh, squad. A uh, few injuries, few people rested, uh, Sam Curran yes. giving a debut in the friendly, and then we've seen <clears throat> New Zealand, uh, who have arrived in Australia as part of the Tri-Series uh, for the first part of it, take on Australia. So uh, let's start with England, really, and let's go mm. on to the uh, the friendly, because we've got a few injuries. We've got Christian Jordan, who's got um, an hamstring injury. We've got Roy and Hales, who are both injured. Hales has got a hand injury. Roy seems to be just a niggle. He, he might be back uh, very, very quick. And Plunkett, we yeah. obviously saw he get injured in uh, the ODI series. And Jake Ball being added to the squad as cover. But it was a decent performance seeing that from England in the friendly, especially yeah. Willie. 
Well, Nathan Lyon. I mean, I've been talking about Nathan Lyon. I've been saying, oh, I've been watching him in the Big Bash. He's been taking wickets for fun. (laughs) Uh, He comes on, he gets smashed 34 off a one over. Five sixes from the first five balls. And uh, then he goes for a four. And, of course, all the crowd are booing. Um, But it just goes to show, doesn't it? This game can make an absolute mug of you. Um, he is. He is. He was arguably the player of the series, bowlers-wise. Nathan Lyon and the Ashes. He's ducked out the the one-day side because they don't pick him, so his stock's risen. Taken wickets in the Big Bash, and then uh, it's uh, thank you very much from uh, David Willie. I mean, David Willie will go back down to number nine or ten when he plays in the uh, in the property twenty. Well, yeah, he will. I mean, we we see. I remember he came onto the scene. Um, David Willey, let's be honest about this, when he was playing for Northant, swinging the new ball and opening the yeah. batting. And that's how he came onto the scene. That's why Yorkshire went and got him, um, played for Yorkshire. He's opened the batting for Yorkshire as well. He's batted three for Yorkshire. But I saw an unbelievable thing. For all the T20s he's played for England, the highest he's ever batted is seven. I was amazed at that. So for him to go in and open up, in that manner, and it's 79, and it's 34 off one over. England have got a dilemma. Let's be honest about it. They've got a serious dilemma. I've seen him do it for Perth Scorchers as well at the top. Yes. So it yeah. will be an interesting uh, situation, what, what they do with uh, David Willey. Well, it is an interesting situation all round, though, because you know when it comes to T20 cricket, international T20, right? Now, we're all told, um, and whoever we speak to, everyone says... T20 is the future for the game, all right? Mm. But when it comes to international T20, half the players for this series coming up have been rested. You know, there's no Wokes, there's no Root, there's no Alley. Um, so that tells you a lot about the importance of this this tri-series. But then when you look at, and I've seen a sneak peek of the, uh, the Future Tours programme, okay, 2019 to 2023. Goffey, I mean... If you like T20 cricket, you're going to be happy. If you like Test cricket, you're not so. You know, this is the future of the game. We're all told that. The the schedule tells us that. And yet, they chop and change this side. They do the same for the Aussies. No no Steve Smith coming up. So, on the one hand, we're told to take this as seriously as any cricket that's ever been played. But then, on the other hand, you have a team going out there who, actually, you'd be hard-pressed to name you know, a week in advance. And so, so what, what is, you know, what, how, how are we approaching T20 cricket? Well, I, th- I think most young cricketers coming through now, that's where they want to um, shine in T20. Like I said, if you go coaching now and you watch young kids play, it's a different ball game now. There's nobody leaving it outside off stump, the swinging ball. There's no one yeah. looking to play within the Vs. They're all playing 360 degrees. Remember the Ian Bell interview we did a few weeks ago? I was about to say, exactly <laughs> and the same now thing. Now you've got a nets, and there's no one who's looking just to bat time. Even in the nets, the short time they'll have pre-season, they're wanting to do a fine sweep, a square sweep, a sweep slog, uh, a mm. reverse sweep, a fine dab. <laughs> They've got all the shots in the book, and you're getting players, that, which is great. But um, are we losing the edge where Test cricket, and we see, we've seen it a lot. Uh, that's what surprised me this winter when we saw the Ashes. But every Test match went to the fifth day, and that was great. Yeah. How, good, how good was that for Test cricket? Seeing, it, Although the result obviously didn't go England's way, every single Test went to the fifth day, and that's what Test cricket should be about. And too many games, especially the county cricket around the world, games are finishing in two and a half days. We want to see it go to the, to the wire, 
exciting where the spin comes into play on the fourth and fifth day. But T20, 20 overs, great entertainment. We've seen players, and England have got about 30 players they could pick from. Let's be honest about it. We've got so many players could play that form of the game. And I think yeah, Australia are exactly the same. Um, talking about Australia, uh, the biggest matches really of the weekend, the Big Bash finals. You know, it's uh, we're going to talk to Melinda Farrell from uh, ESPN Crick Info coming up. But can you see, I mean, these, you get phenomenal crowds. There's, there's so many women watching. There's loads of kids watching. When I go to cricket, um, when I go to see T- T20 cricket, it's all city boys, you know, coming from uh, after work. Can you see the success of the Big Bash? Can you see that in England? Um, I'm really hoping so. But I think the the blast at the minute, the T20 blast as it is, I think it's a fantastic tournament. I go to finals day every year. I enjoy going as a fan. I, I really, really do. I think it's a great spectacle. And if you look at the audience for the big, the T20 blast at finals day, it's a very young audience. Now, can they attract that every single game uh, down the, the, the blast? They obviously think not. So this is why we bring in the franchise tournament in, which mm. starts in 2020. Now, I'm sure they've been out watching how the Big Bash works and how they attract all the kids and, and, and things like that with the little things they do, the bat wraps and everything that goes with it. And they're going to be trying their hardest to, to copy it. Now, we'll not know if it's going to be a success till 2020. And we'll know within the first few weeks, let's be honest about it. Uh, we'll yeah, know no whether ends. it's going to be... We will know, though. We will know instantly whether it'll be supported. Um, we've got to attract more kids to it. I think if you go to certain games, you go to Yorkshire versus Lancashire, there's loads of kids there. So the massive mm. games have got a lot of kids there. And that's what they're hoping for the franchise, aren't they? But it's going to be... Um, it's like going to be two or three teams stuck together and they're hoping the kids are going to follow uh, some of their heroes and stars, the big players from the, their, their county. So it, it's, it's, is it a gamble? I don't think it's a gamble, but it's how much support they'll get is going to be an interesting factor. I remember going along to uh, hear Alex Stewart, director of cricket, sorry, your old teammate, um, and he just said this, okay? He said, we've tried, it in, we've tried to play T20 in a group stage, in a block, right? So playing five or six days in, in a week. Uh, and Surrey are one of the clubs that have been a huge success in attracting crowds to the Oval to watch cricket. And he said, good luck. He said, I hope I'm wrong in saying this, but good luck. We've tried to get people to watch cricket on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, and it doesn't work. OK, it, if it's a Thursday night, a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon, they'll come. But they just you're not going to get cricket fans in that short block. So it, it will be absolutely fascinating because not only have the ECB invested so much money into this, money that they could have invested into the Big Bash, but, uh, into the um, NatWest Blast, but uh, there's going to be a bit of egg on face. There is going to be a bit of egg on face on certain members, and you know I'm talking about, um, at the ECB if this falls flat because there are of course. so many people waiting to say I told you so if it does go wrong. Yeah, they are. Um, this, I like the idea of it, um, but nobody's going to know if it's going to be a success till the time. It's an interesting one about the block because I think the ECB have done a test on that this year. If you look at the way they've organised the tournaments, uh, they've got the 50-over competition. That's in a block. That's in June, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yep. June and the start of July. So the Royal London's going to be an interesting... I think they've done that for a reason. I think this is when they're going to have the tournament. 
and they're going to see how it works. And um, let's give you an idea. I know 50 overs is not as well supported, and it tends to be the diehard cricket fans that watch the 50 over uh, cricket. But it'll be interesting to see what the crowds are like uh, for that tournament over a short period. It will indeed. And uh, I'm sure it'll be a subject that we talk about on this show moving forward. Uh, And talking about moving forward, plenty to come. Uh, We're going to be speaking to Melinda Farrell, as I just mentioned, about the Big Bash finals. Uh, Robert Croft, test of time this week. We're going to go back to 1996. Uh, Zimbabwe, we flipping murdered them. Who said that? Uh, we're going to speak to Andrew Gale. We're going to start looking uh, ahead to the start of the county championship season. And because there are so many counties, we've got to start early. Yes, I know it's the start of February. Uh, we're going to begin with Yorkshire. Uh, and we are, uh, we are going to be joined in the studio by the former Middlesex and England and a lot of other county and uh, T20 club names. Too many to mention now. Uh, Owe Shah is going to be joining us on the show. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sports 2. So, Goffey, uh, no England in the last week, but uh, plenty of cricket going on. And uh, the biggest match, biggest matches of uh, the week, it's taking place in Australia. Um, and the finals of the women's Big Bash and the men's Big Bash, double header. And uh, I must say, I love it when um, when the, the women's play on the same day as the men's. It's, it just showcases both uh, both different formats of the game and it just means that you can actually watch two days two games cricket in one day as well but uh, it kind of went the way we expected to do it in the end didn't it um it did listen um, on, on quickly on that um it'd be interesting to get thoughts from other people on it but um when it comes down uh, to the women's big bash and the, the men's big bashes but i've seen this happen in rugby where the women's game follows the men's game and most people have gone because it's been a long day as it is yeah. building up to the, the the rugby the ladies come on and it's deserted stadium now the big bash it looked like it was totally different everybody stayed around and watched the cricket but surely now i think the women's big bash is one of it's it's known around the world people are talking about it we're talking about it and i think now Mm. it could probably stand on its own two feet and um probably run a successful tournament with people watching anyway the figures tv do you know actually i'm not sure if you knew this but at the start of the tournament right the women's big bash was only available online in Australia, and the figures were so ridiculous that the channel it was on was forced to put it on uh, like normal TV. Well, that's what I'm saying to you. I think now it's it's it's, it's big enough. Now it's a brand. They get players, the best uh, girl players, uh, lady players from around the world who are playing in it, and I think it's ready to stand on its own two feet. I think people will watch it. Um, it's a good brand. It's, it's obviously not quite as big as the men's game yet. The men's game has been around a long, long time and women's mm. cricket is improving year on, year out. Same as um, over in this country. Uh, the standard is improving every single year um, and I think more and more people are watching it. So, But the big bash is leading the way um, uh, for me in it. I I almost feel more confident about women's cricket than I do men's cricket in England and maybe around the world, actually. I've been down under for a couple of months, as you know, and I meet so many uh, people who either want to get their daughters into the game or their daughters themselves want to get into the mm. game. And, you know, very often, like growing up in London and it, 
apart from around 2005 Ashes, when I walk around Tooting Common or I'm walking around Crystal Palace Park, I don't see people playing cricket. I, I might see Asian lads playing cricket, but I don't see anybody else. No. When I come down to New Zealand or I come to Australia, I see people playing cricket in the park. Um, and I see more and more women playing cricket, and it's... I just wonder. I do wonder. Um, one person who was at uh, both games, pleased to say, joins us now, Melinda Farrell, commentator and uh, columnist for uh, ESPN Crick Info. Mel, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, safe to say, Sydney Sixers won a, the final in a game where, uh, where ball dominated bat. Oh, it, it certainly did for the women. Um, it, right from the get-go, uh, the Sixers were so tight in the way they bowled and they just strangled all the life out of the, the best batters in, in the, the Scorchers lineup, including Nat Siver, who, of course, is such a big name in, in English women's mm. cricket. And, um, and, but, and in the end, uh, Elisa Healy just came out and blasted away along with uh, Ash Gardner and Elise Perry and they got the job done very, very easily. But probably the nicest story, if you talk about a bowler coming back, was the return of Sarah Coit for the Sydney Sixers. She gave the game up for a year because she was suffering from anxiety and, and anorexia nervosa. She came back, took three wickets um, and was player of the match. So that was just a fantastic story and great to see her come back. It is an amazing uh, story, that, because we, we've had a, 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 a lady over here, a player, Sarah Taylor, you'll know her uh, really well, and she had a similar problem, didn't she? And, and I gather, uh, but they chatted and, and discussed ways and uh, to get back playing cricket. So it, it is a fantastic story, and I'm so pleased she, uh, she's back playing again and, 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 and I've been highlighted in, in, a, in a final. Yeah, it's, it, they did speak to each other. I spoke to, to Sarah Coyd about that and she, she said she spoke to, to Sarah and, and asked her what she should do because she was so nervous coming back. Uh, and Sarah just told her, look, do, do whatever you need to do. Go back and do all the things that made you feel good uh, in, in preparing for a match. Uh, and interestingly, one of the things that she hasn't done is uh, is, is not do any skin folds because skin folds were the things that really uh, used to stress her out and make her panic and, and get really anxious. So she's worked out what works for her. She hasn't ruled out perhaps coming back um, and extending her career. But for the moment, you know, just, just winning, uh, well, she just really was winning and coming back and I guess uh, being able to face her anxieties and overcome them. It is incredible, though, isn't it, Goffy? I mean, you you played the game for so many years. It's uh, it's certainly a, an affliction that that does seem to affect cr- cricketers. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know what it is. Whether it just attracts a certain type of person, whether it's the the long drawn out tours, the amount of time you're on the pitch, or personally, I think in part it's a team game, but it's an individual battle uh, time after time. But I'm sure you played with plenty of. Um, players that were, uh, you know, at times incapacitated by such problems, and it's just about trying to get past them. Um, you've got so many sports psychologists now, but probably didn't quite have the same kind of backup back in your day. Well, listen, it's not nice. Uh, it, it's a great. Uh, we're actors, really. Let's be honest about it. And um, if you've got any anxiety whatsoever about being in the public uh, domain, you're going to be there on show. The camera um, adds pounds. It's not flattering. Um, we all want to look good <laughs> as best we can possibly can. Um, and sometimes some of the pictures uh, photographers use, newspapers use, television shots, 
are not really um, flattering. And it can, it, it can send you, um, if, if that's the way you can be, it, it can send you into uh, your mind just racing 100 miles an hour, thinking about what people are thinking about you. We've seen on social media over the last four or five years, the abuse you can get on social media if you're not the, what people consider the perfect physique. It's shocking, and, and, and I understand totally why sports people, especially these days, have some anxieties about putting their body on show in front of millions of people on television um, and newspapers. I totally get it, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel, the, uh, the second game of the day, the, the Big Bash final, Adelaide Strikers, Hobart Hurricanes, and, you know, for me, the Big Bash is... Nothing encapsulates the success of the Big Bash than Perth Scorchers playing in front of their fu- their frontier fans, um, the Hobart Hurricanes. You watch the, but you could have an Ashes Test match in Hobart, and it wouldn't fill out in the way that uh, it does for the the Hurricanes. But the standout team, Adelaide Strikers. You got fifty five thousand people turning up every week to watch the Strikers, and finally they did it. They did, and they did it really emphatically as well. There was a lot of um, controversy coming into this because of the scheduling. There are international T20s on at the moment as well. And so players like Travis Head and Darcy Short and Alex Carey, who were in the Australian squad, well, their their teams didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to play. It was all sort of done on the fly. There's not really a set policy. Uh, Some players, Ash Nagar wasn't able to play for the Scorchers in their semi-finals, so uh, they were a little bit ticked off about that. So there was, there was quite a bit of controversy going into it, and and the, and the likes of Darcy Short and Travis Head. I mean, they were they were one night in Sydney playing, and then the next day, next morning they're on a plane and they're they're back in Adelaide playing. So, um, but Travis Head, he, I mean, he really stood up. He's been outstanding, as has Darcy Short. His set hit a light. I mean, two players, Joffre Archer and Darcy Short, really for the Hobart Hurricanes have done so well. Uh, and and you sort of thought, while Darcy Short was there, maybe there was a chance, but the, a century by Jay Weatherall was just uh, too much in the end. It just put too much scoreboard pressure on them. But the atmosphere was terrific. And uh, and there's a new there's a new champion uh, for the Big Bash. So uh, Adelaide was was buzzing this morning i can tell you what i got up taxi drivers were talking about it everybody was they were they were very very happy quite parochial down there so to have an adelaide team at the top in the big bash went down very well i tell you what success seems to follow jason gillespie around back-to-back champion with yorkshire <laughs> adelaide strikers now winning their first big bash he's going to be going to sussex next year people will be putting a few quid on sussex to do well next season he has done really well, and he, there was quite a bit. I noticed he tweeted this morning about um, about experts questioning his list management, and it is really tricky to manage your list throughout a competition like the Big Bash. And you know, there are similar similarities, I guess, in the English competition where you look at your list and you've got to work out well who's not going to be available, who's going to be playing for England, at what time, with the different formats overlapping uh, at different points in the season. So he managed to do really well in the end, and he is a really successful coach. I think his his talent is um, is making players feel like uh, he believes in them and he listens to them, and he, he just he really has a a way of making players feel relaxed within themselves. I think that's possibly his greatest strength. 
Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard from the Yorkshire boys as well. He's, he's his man management skills are his biggest strength. Doesn't do much, too much on the coaching front, but he makes them feel good and gives them the confidence to go out and play, which is the art now. If you look at Owen Morgan with his captaincy, it's about letting the players just free their arms. Go and play. This is the way we're going to play. Go and do it. I'm not going to criticise you if we fail, but this is the way... Uh, we're going to play. Just back to that game. I mean, it was really done for. 200, once they got 200 runs uh, for the loss of two wickets to strikers, for me, that was game over because it was just, well, two memories. Travis Head was uh, superb, as you say, and he has been most of the season. But Weatherhold, to get his first 100 or 50 odd balls, wasn't it? It was absolutely a game changer. Yeah, it was. And he spoke afterwards. He, had, he went through a run of, a pretty lean run of scores. And he said they just kept, again, I guess this goes back to Dizzy and what we were saying about him, that they just kept saying, you know, you're, you're part of this, you're in, we believe in you. They kept him on, um, just allowed him to play his own game and, and gave him the confidence that he was going to come good at some point. And he said he felt he was batting well all the way through, but just wasn't, it wasn't translating into big scores. And it, it was a fantastic inning. Another player it's really worth mentioning for the strikers was Peter Siddle. He came in and he just bowled so tightly. It was fantastic to watch. And he's a player who, you know, in, in his the mid-30s, kind of really reinvented himself as a T20 bowler, which, of course, is not what he was. He's really simplified his game and um, worked out just what worked for him in T20. And, and that was almost a turning point in the bowling inning. So once he came on, uh, it really squeezed them uh, out, I think, the Hobart Hurricanes. And there was, there was a lot of uh, praise for him from everyone throughout the team afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just a quick one, um, Mel. On this um, stuff with the cricket, the one-day cricket for Australia, because they got battered by England, let's be honest. So this is a big tri-series. I know it's a different format, T20, which Aussies tend to be quite good at. But it's a massive series against England. They've got to put in some performance, haven't they, after the one-day drubbing? Yeah, they do. And look, it's, it's in a really funny spot at the moment. Like, uh, some of the stuff that the Australian camp was saying throughout that one-day series. I just thought uh, uh, they're, they're getting it wrong. Like, that they see England doing something, but they're, they're not understanding what England do. So, for example, they were saying that, oh, Joe Root plays an anchor role and others come around him. Well, if you talk to the England team, Joe Root's got just as much licence to mm. attack as anyone. He just adapts according to the situation. So a few times the Australians were saying things and I thought, I don't know that they've actually got that right. England certainly have been able to free themselves uh, in in a way. Australia looks like they're about five years behind England, whereas just heading into the World Cup uh, uh, three years ago, they looked like they were five years in front of England. Um, And and, uh, so from a one-day perspective, I don't think it's good enough anymore to have a player like Aaron Finch who might get 100 off 120 now you 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 want to have a player who gets like eighty or fifty, almost. That's the way that the Spot one day on. game seems to be mm. evolving. So so that those players that kind of build and build, and then Australia are thinking, yeah, we want to keep wickets in hand. If you talk to England, I mean, sometimes it goes awfully wrong for them for them, but they don't think about attacking while keeping wickets in hand because the two things now with the modern game and the way it's developing seem to almost be mutually exclusive. You've got to put one out of your mind if you're going to attack freely. So with the, with the T20 game, obviously it's 
it changes again. And Australia has some incredibly aggressive batsmen. Uh, but they're, they're talking about, you know, the World T20 in two years in Australia. I'm sorry, I'm much more worried about the, the one-day game at the moment as far as Australia is concerned because there's a World Cup in England uh, well before the, the next T20. Just quickly, where, where do you go now? Because you are always on the road. What, uh, what series is coming up for you? Look, I'm actually going to take a little bit of time off, which is really exciting because I haven't really had a day off since early November. So um, I'm going to have a little bit of time off and I'm actually going out to India for a few weeks in uh, for the IPL, uh, and but then I'll we'll be back and very, very much looking forward to maybe watching a few county games, get myself down to Edgebaston and uh, out to New Road and a few places like that. I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> Cricket. Cricket Badger. Thank you, Mel. Um, <laughs> Thanks, that was, <laughs> that was uh, Mel Farrell, brilliant commentator yeah. and uh, columnist for uh, ESPN Crick Info. Uh, plenty more to come on the show. You're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week. And uh, after the break, it's going to be Test of Time with the former England spinner, Robert Croft. Test of Time with Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. Knight's down the track, he's got it out to deep cover, there's a man there. This two will bring the scores level. Andy Flowers got it, Darren Goff vainly goes for the third runs. The scores are level, but the match is drawn. England finished tantalisingly, one run short. They've levelled the scores with Zimbabwe. They couldn't get the final run. Nick Knight just getting two off the last ball. And finishes on 96 not out. What a test match day we've seen here in Bulawayo. Well, it might be nearly uh, 20 odd years later, but that uh, that all comes back to me as a youngster listening to the wireless uh, in the kitchen and uh, tearing my hair out as England narrowly avoided to get over the line. Uh, last year on Test of Time, it's uh, a part of the show where Goffey uh, looks back with a, a teammate who was part of a series. Uh, last year was all, all about the glory, uh, the win in the gloom. Goffey and Treskothic, Marcus Treskothic, looking back to Pakistan in Karachi in the year 2000. We're going back four years before that this week. Uh, a tour that doesn't happen at the moment because of political reasons, unfortunately. Beautiful country, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, in southern Africa. England went there expecting to win. Well, certainly the uh, the newspapers expected them to. And uh, it didn't quite go to plan as uh, Goffey and his former England teammate uh, Robert Croft uh, discussed uh, a few days ago, looking back at that fateful series when, as uh, David Bumble Lloyd once famously remarked, they flipping murdered them. This tour, no, it didn't get off to a good start as it was. If you remember, we had meeting and meeting and meeting mm. after meeting about... Because we had Mike Arthurton as captain. We had mm. David Lloyd, who was coach, who uh, was single at the time. So we had two of them in charge who decided it would be a good idea for us to go on the longest tour of all to Zimbabwe and New Zealand and then a World Cup with no families allowed to come and visit us. So it didn't get off to a good start, did it, Crofty? No, it was demoralising from the off. And, you know, it was really disappointing for me because it, it was the first tour I'd been selected on. So, I, you know, I'd been really pumped up for it. And I guess, look, on reflection, I would have gone and, and done and We did do what, what we needed to do and, mm. and got through the tour. But 
it was demoralising, um, and particularly as well when we were out there, I'm sure you remember when we were in Harare, and uh, a certain uh, chief executive, I believe at the time, from the ECB turned up with his family, and we weren't allowed to have families out there, which really annoyed the players, didn't it? Oh, yeah, and also, just to top it off, mate, we were in an hotel which was slightly below market, and um, mm. he was staying in the uh, the five-star hotel in Harare, which uh, didn't go down well. And as you can imagine, I was uh, quick to... I'm quite outspoken as it was, but uh, mm. I think I told him in a few choice words what I thought of him. Yeah, it it, like it, 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 it was poor. It was poor behaviour because, you know, when you, you take on a tour out there... And, in those days, Zimbabwe, uh, it wasn't a, an easy place to go, particularly if you didn't try and embrace the culture. I think you and I, fair, fair and square, embraced the mm. culture out there, didn't we? Oh, we um, did. And there was a lot of lads who, who pretty much stayed inside their rooms throughout the tour and, and didn't get the best out of them, I don't believe. But, yeah, when, when we were in that, that hotel and then we turned up, we were... And, and families are around and enjoying from a, an official's point of view, yet the people who were the most important, which are the players, they weren't kept happy, and that was very, very disappointing. And hopefully from that point on, the ECB uh, saw the error of their ways. Yeah, do you know something, Crofty? Um, I mean, you say it's your first tour this, uh, for England. It was a well-deserved, and I wasn't going to bring this out, but um, that season... Um, 96 uh, was a great year and I'll tell you why. There were two cricketers going for the bonus at the end of the season called the White and Mackay Cricketer of the Year who got the most points. So it was wickets, it was runs uh, and you got a point system. They do a similar thing now at PCA. And um, I just pipped you to that, Crofty. <laughs> Ten grand bonus. So um, I was going on to that tour, 10 grand richer. I, well, I don't think it was the uh, 10 grand that interested you as much as the big flagon of, uh, if you can call him a flag of whiskey that came with it as well, which didn't <laughs> last too long, did it? No, but it, like, it, it was, a, it was a, a great, it didn't start too great for me before going because before going, we had nets in Neath before going away. I just had all my England kit delivered. I did it in my car. And when I went back to my car in Neath, all the kit had been pinched from my car. So I had to play for a second amount of kit to take away. So I guess there was a bit of a, an omen on it before we went. I know, I know it's called England and Wales cricket team, but uh, what was a Welshman want with England kit? Seriously? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I think they must have been flogging it down some market early on. But, I, yeah, it was um, yeah, a disappointing start. But, look, we had some great fun out there, didn't we? Well, we did. And we had an interesting coach, didn't we, Bumble? Uh, he yeah. did things slightly different. Um, mm. It had been... Um, I'd, I'd not played in the summer. I'd played in the one-dayers. Uh, we beat India. Uh, I didn't play in the Test Series. And the lost against Pakistan. I didn't play in that uh, either. And like you say, it's your first tour this and it was a massive, massive tour. Interesting coach in David Lloyd. Interesting ways. Um, but Zimbabwe were a side which weren't to be underestimated. I thought they got a bad crack from the media because everybody said, oh, we're only touring Zimbabwe. But if you look at some of their performances when we were turning up to play, they'd actually shocked a few. They beat Pakistan. And they actually had some very, very good players, didn't they, uh, in that side, Zimbabwe? Well, I, I was lucky to, to go to Zimbabwe a couple of times with Glamorgan before '96. And I believe that the side we played against was the best Zimbabwe side ever. Mm. Because if you look at the names that came out, as you mentioned, there at the back end of it, two, two Flower brothers, uh, Heath Streak, the Strang brothers, um, Alistair Campbell. Um, so, you know, and then Edo Brandes, the chicken farmer that seemed to get us all out <laughs> from time to time. You know, so Davy Houghton. So when you look at that, I don't think, um, and I'm sure people might pull me up on this, I don't think Zimbabwe have ever had such a good side. And believe you me, they saw us as somebody to turn over on their, on their own patch. Um, and I thought they played really well against us, didn't they? 
Well, they did. Let's go on to Bulaway because that was the first test. And uh, I remember turning up there. And when you play against a team like Zimbabwe at that time, let's say I thought they got a bad rap from it, but the pitch looked flat in Bulaway, yeah. uh, which obviously the fast bowlers weren't too happy. And um, it, it was interesting because uh, they batted uh, first. They got 376, and we thought, wow. Uh, and back in then days, that was a good score in a test match, wasn't it? 376 batting first. Just to run you through it, the, the guys who got the runs, Grant Flower got 43. Uh, Alistair Campbell, the captain, got 84. And Andy Flower, who we know too well, um, he's involved in England, obviously coaching now, he got 112. So 376, a good score. Yeah, definitely. In those conditions, given the fact as well that, um, you know, they were aware of how to bowl on those pitches, mm. low, low decks. Um, you know, they had a leg spinner. I've always mixed these up. Was it Paul Strang or Brian Strang? <laughs> One or the other. You know, he was a handy Paul Strang, the leggy. Paul Strang, that's it, the, the leg spinner. Um, yeah, they were, they knew how to go about it. Um, they had photographs of us and pictures of us on their wall in their dressing room. I remember going in after mm. the match. They were really, uh, they felt we had a strut. They felt that we were the cocky ones to turn over and they were the, the, the country scrappers that were going to take us down. Um, yeah, so we fought back well, didn't we, Goffey? We got up over 400, was it? Yeah, and then we had, well, you, let's just say you got three wickets that game and you got the big hitters out, by the way. I'll just let you know. You got uh, Alistair Campbell, the captain, he got 84, so that was a big wicket. You got Davy Outen, who's one of the best players Zimbabwe have ever produced, uh, 34. And you also got um, Waller, who I think he's uh, coach of Zimbabwe. He's been a coach of Zimbabwe. I think he still might be. Yeah. Um, he got um, 15. So you ended up with three for Crofty, which was a good start uh, yeah. on your first. Uh, I ended up with one for 87. Disappointed with that, by the way. <laughs> Especially I lucky. They were four LBWs that would have been given, I'm sure, under DR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got Carlisle out. I think it was his debut, actually. He got naught. <laughs> um, he was a right buddy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got 406. You're right, Crofty. We got 406. We were all out. Yeah. Uh, Nighty, um, in his short test career, he got 56. Yeah. Um, Stewie, 48. Nasser got 100. And J- JP Crawley, yeah. he ended up with 112. He'd have had about 10 bottles of Coke there and about 16 fags, wouldn't he? Yeah, in there. yeah we, we were stuck under that gazebo, weren't we? Yeah. They, they seem to have... Uh, a lovely little cool place to watch a game from. And we had this boiling hot gazebo they were trying to cook <laughs> us underneath before we went out the bat. But, yeah, fair play to Creepy. I think he lost all his hair that day, didn't he? That's where it all started to fall out. He did. And do you know something? Going into, um, I think it was the third day, we actually uh, were in a great position. We had four or five wickets left. But, as usual, in those days, Crofty, we had a bit of a collapse. I think, yeah. starting with you, you ended up with uh, a longer yeah. got Henry, a longer got you out, LBW, probably uh, on the out. back foot. Um, never out. For seven, uh, Alonga got me out as well, <laughs> and Silver's got a duck, uh, and Malali, obviously a top scorer of four. Um, yeah, we were so, paid the bowl, though, weren't we? Yeah, we were paid the bowl. That was our excuse. Um, and it was uh, the leg spinner actually who nipped in me uh, five for hundred and twenty-three, which yeah. uh, you take a five for. You don't mind going for hundred for five no, wickets? Absolutely, no. I did well again. They, they knew the conditions. Uh, they were smart cricketers. They were intelligent cricketers. They were a side that had been building for some time. They knew how to go about their business on that deck. And let's not underestimate Streaky, by the way. Streaky mm. was a good uh, good performer, wasn't he? A good bowler. In any test team, he probably would have got in. He was a good performer, Streaky. Yeah, good all-rounder. Um, just kept trucking in all day. We're good with a new ball, swung it away from the right-hander and had some craft towards the end of the innings. And boy, could he smack it. Yeah, he was an integral part of that side. And um, 
they um, obviously went into the second innings and we got off to a good start. They were six for two at one point. Uh, just yeah. to let you know, Crofty, uh, Grant Flower, I got him out LBW for zero. And Carlisle, Malali <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, knocked him over. I think he was caught slip, actually, um, off uh, Big Al. Yeah. And uh, they, they fought hard in the middle order where Wallace got 50. Uh, Guy Whittle, you remember him? He was yeah, a proper fighter, wasn't he? Him, yeah. uh, uh, Bush Farmer, wasn't he? Yeah. He was okay. a, a proper fighter. He ended up with 56 and 2-3-4 all out. Yeah. That meant, Crofty, we needed 205 to win. I think it was 37 overs, if I'm yeah. uh, not mistaken. And it was going to be difficult, but in this day and age, we were used to playing 40 over cricket, weren't we, if we're going to be honest? And we backed ourselves to win that game comfortably. Well, we had enough craft and um, expertise about it. You know, you think about the guys that, that were there, they were... They were people that weren't stodgy apart from others. Once we got him out of the way, we had more of a chance of winning, didn't we? So once he got out, um, you, had, you had some good shot makers that came in behind. Uh, obviously, you had Stewie, you had, you had Nass, as you mentioned earlier. You had uh, John Crawley. Was Graham Thorpe there? Thorpe, yeah, Thorpe correct. Well. So all guys that were capable of manipulating the field. Um, again, I come back to their craft. Um, they found a, a tactic, a technique, which which copped a lot of stick at the time, but which saved them when they started bowling wide, didn't they? Well, they did, and uh, that's something to go into. I just, just quickly, after this game, by the way, do you remember being in the bar in Bulawayo yeah. after the game? Both teams went in there. there. Yeah, <laughs> we we were in one corner, yeah. they were in the other, and they were celebrating like they'd won the uh, World Cup, hadn't they? Because they'd got yeah. a draw. Um, yeah. against England and um, it really bothered Bumble because he said uh, we murdered them yeah. but can you remember us all singing standing up on the bar singing you bowl wide <laughs> and you know you do you yeah, bowl wide can you remember that yeah I do I, and, and, but that was kicked off by the uh, supporters that started out there didn't it um, and, and Bumble which you know you touched upon him um, Bumble was a guy that was a very passionate coach wasn't he he was a guy who, who liked fun um, I mean, when you look at all the coaches you worked with through your, through your career, they'll all stand out for something different. If you think of Fletcher, people like that, they stand out for, for discipline and, and focus, shall we say. But Bumble was more about the fun and the passion. Um, and, you know, fair play to him. When he got annoyed with things, it poured out. I mean, he was true to his word. Um, so, yeah, he was, he was very frustrated. That copped a lot of, of flack. And the other thing I remember that tour, I don't know about you, but... It, it had a bit of a political touch as well, didn't it, Coffee? Yeah. I think we, we, were, we were forced to, to meet Robert Mugabe and shake hands with Robert Mugabe in, in Harare during, one of the test, during the test match or before the test match there. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't, wasn't good for the lads. We were used as political pawns, and I remember it, we, we, we were never a nice thing. And it happened uh, the next tour there as well, where uh, the lads refused uh, to go unless they were guaranteed not to meet him. So, uh, yeah, that's another story for another day. That Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Top Sport 2. Test of time! With Darren Goff on Talk Sport 2. So... The scene is set. 13 needed, six balls to do it in. Goffey uh, at the crease with Nick Knight. And we're going to hear a little bit more from uh, from Goffey and Robert Croft very shortly. Uh, but let's hear how that final over played out. That every corner of this boundary is patrolled. One boundary. Anything could happen. Streak tonight, down the leg side, perfectly legitimate today. One ball gone, with no runs scored. Knight's got it out to long off, 
Darren Goff prepared to sacrifice his wicket, but he's got back for two. I think Zimbabwe will settle for that. That's what Knight's looking for. He's chipped it over. He's head for six. Unbelievable. Nick Knight's got his streak away over mid-wicket for six runs. Now England are back in it. England now need five runs to win off three balls. The England supporters are going crazy. It's wide outside the off stump. No signal from umpire Ian Robinson. England now requiring five off two. The England bowlers won't be too happy with this because Alan Mullally and Darren Goff got wide for balls not as wide as that in this test match. Full toss. Knight can only get it away for one. Goff will definitely come back for the second run. He's made it with a dive. Street can't take the ball cleanly. England scramble two. Three to win off the last ball. Knight's down the track. He's got it out to deep cover. There's a man there. This two will bring the scores level. Andy Flowers got it. Darren Goff vainly goes for the third runs. The scores are level. But the match is drawn. England finished tantalisingly. One run short. They've levelled the scores with Zimbabwe. They couldn't get the final run. Nick Knight just getting two off the last ball and finishes on 96 not out. What a test match day we've seen here in Bulawayo. Well, that was a bit. Tell you what, Crofty, that brings back some memories because it's hard to remember, isn't it, the test match, but when it gets brought back in commentary like that, it, it kind of all comes flooding back. It does. It, you've just ruined my Sunday. I thought <laughs> I thought I got, it, got over it. Um, Matt, you know, yeah, 80 out of 15, it sounds like a, a breeze these days. But back then, mind, it, it wasn't such a breeze, was it? Uh, you know, those, those sorts of things didn't happen. As you mentioned there, Nick Knight played a, a terrific knock. Um, and you could hear the, the passion and the enthusiasm there around the ground through it all. Mm. I'm just more interested to see how long it took to get the oxygen on to give you, because you sounded like you were scampering a bit between the big, between the wickets a bit there, big lad. Well, I was. I mean, I'm the worst person, actually. But saying that, I've just looked at uh, who was behind me. For some reason, I was sent up the order, because I think because I was the quickest runner that what, what was left. <laughs> I've just looked down. It was Crofty, yes. Silverwood, Mullally and Tufnell. That's the, so I actually got sent early because I was the quickest runner out of that group. <laughs> I think it was a case of... You'd done it a few times back then. You actually weren't sent in. You just ran on the field and shouted, leave it to me. So um, <laughs> yeah, you stood up there and, uh, you know, as you mentioned it there, it just brings it all back. Um, and if we'd gone 1-0 up, mm. then I thought, you know, the floodgates could have opened against them there. But, boy, they were a tough team. Mm. Um, and you, you look at how many of those players that came through that system have gone on, gone on to have an impact in in uh, cricket around the world. You think of the two Flower Brothers, you think of Streak, uh, you know, you think of Davy Houghton, the impact he's had as a coach in this country as well. Um, and you mentioned Chris Silverwood, now who's, who's obviously led Essex through and now he's working with England. So there's a lot of, particularly from the, the, the Zimbabwean side, there's a lot of guys who've come on and had an impact in cricket around the world. Yeah, and then Silver's actually worked with Zimbabwe um, yeah. for quite a few years, getting his started getting his experience from working over there, didn't he? So, yeah. uh, like I said, I mean, the one thing um, about that test, I don't think it'll ever happen again, is the wides, and we've got to mention it, because East Street yeah. got away with murder, actually. Uh, he yeah. was so skillful, Henry Alonga couldn't try and bowl a wide. If he, if, mm. if he, he bowled plenty, but he didn't mean to bowl any of them. No. And what I mean about East Street, they used him a lot. He was very, very skillful, didn't he? And he bowled... 
he bowled on the edge and, and these days it, it wouldn't happen. They would have just been instantly wide. And that last over, there was one which he bowled wide of off stump to Nick Knight, which was mm. a double wide, if we're going to yeah. be honest. True. And, and I think as well, the umpires would have intervened these days. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a lot sharper to, be, to get involved if they don't think it's been done in the spirit of the game. Um, so I think that would have had a, a change up. Also, the range of shots. You know, back in our day, don't forget, Nick Knight was known as a, a truly inventive cricketer and, and, and played shots that we hadn't seen before. However, since then, there's another 10 shots being developed from, from in the game. So actually, maybe, you know, if you could imagine Josh Butler standing there right now, where would he be standing um, to receive the ball? Perhaps those balls mm. wouldn't have been such a problem, but back then they were. Oh, anyway, exactly. Uh, it won't be a problem now for Josh Butler or anybody who plays uh, like that, Jason Roy. Yeah. Even at county level, you see county level now, which you're a coach of, obviously, Crofty at Glamorgan. Yeah. You see these guys now play every shot, 360 degrees, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, you want the ball away from the stumps <laughs> as a batsman. You know what I mean? You, you want it so that it gives you the angle to work with. Um, but as well, how tough it was for us, because it was boiling hot, I remember that. Oh, yeah. I, it was proper hot. Um, and, you know, ice baths and things like that, weren't for putting your, your legs in, it was for leaving your beers in for the night after, wasn't it? So you know, rest and recovery, probably probably why we struggled a bit towards the end of the tournament. Well, what we didn't know about on that bull away, just finally, Crofty, um, it, it was, we, we finished, obviously, 204 for six, and that was the first time in Test history a game was drawn with the scores level in the fourth yeah. innings. I, I couldn't believe that. When I look back at it, uh, it's, so it's an amazing stat, wasn't it? And it, it wasn't good for us because it ended up being a disaster tour uh, mm. and, it, and, and it nearly worked on to the rest of the We went on to Harare after. Obviously, it was a draw there because of mm. rain. We lost the one-day series and then we went to New Zealand, which was a much happier tour. <laughs> it was. Well, you know, we, I can remember a meeting we had in Bulaway. I don't know if you can, where, you know, it was raised by some of the senior players about the unhappiness with partners or wives not allowed yep. to be in out there and the reply that we had if I remember rightly was well if you, you can go home if you want guys and we'll get other players Oh yeah, um, and that was deflating to say the least um, and then I remember the flight we had didn't we from from Harare to Auckland which took longer than it would have taken for us to fly home from Harare to, to the UK and then flight from the UK to, to Auckland so it. It's sort of left in a in the same way as it started, really. However, the time you and I had, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yep, I must admit, I mean, it was a tour which a lot of players would like to forget. But for me and you, Crofty, we roomed together. You was yeah. my favourite roomie, I still say that now. And yeah. uh, it's a tour I'll never forget, mate. We had some good times. We used to... We used to hire that um, limo, didn't we? Every yeah. night in Zimbabwe, cost us about three pound fifty, and he used to drive us around for two hours every single night, take us for dinner, yeah. and take us back. It was fantastic. Wonderful times, mate. Wonderful, Wonderful times. Wonderful times. Thanks very much, uh, Crofty, for your time, um, and good luck um, in the season uh, with Glamorgan. I'm sure you're underway now, pre-season, yep. um, and everything with it. So, how's things going there? Yeah, good. Yeah, boys, uh, great news today. Colin Ingram, our white ball captain, they've uh, they've been successful. The strikers, I believe, have won the BBL, so hopefully he'll bring a bit of that vibe back. But the rest of the guys are just getting ready to come back from wherever they are and the rest in other parts of the world. And the boys that have been in Cardiff, they've been, most of them have been practicing since November the 1st, believe it or not. So, um, yeah, things are underway. Top draw. Thanks for your time. Test of time with Robert Croft. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Top Sport 2.
You're listening to the second hour of Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sports 2. Myself, John Norman, and the main man, Goffy. And, uh, well, it was, me, it was me and Goffy a couple of years ago, you know, back in Dubai. Uh, Goffy was out there playing a bit of uh, a bit of cricket and presenting his drive time show. I went out there uh, to help him do the show, but also interview some of the greats of the game. Kumar Sangakara, Jonathan Trott, Adam Gilchrist. Uh, just three of the players Goffy spoke to and uh, at some some length and in such depth that uh, when we came back, we found uh, quite a few people raving about them. So uh, we thought we'd start those interviews up again on the show. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, for our first one, uh, we're joined in the studio back in London, uh, one of the most uh, enigmatic and... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Well, I'd say naturally talented batsman of recent years and a a guy who was very much part of Talk Sports and Talk Sport 2's Champions Trophy coverage back in 2017. Former England and Middlesex batsman Owais Shah. Uh, Owais, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, So much to talk about. But, well, well, let me ask you a question. The first question, okay? When when people find out you're a cricketer... um, and they ask you about your career and they ask you about uh, people you met, places you've played, games you've won, games you've lost, maybe. Uh, what, are the, what are the first memories? What are the immediate memories that come to mind? Well, the immediate memory uh, comes, uh, and I'd imagine it'd be the same for most cricketers, is uh, representing your country. Uh, for me, it was uh, 
the test match, I, I, my first ever test match, it was in India. Uh, it was under uh, Freddie Flintoff. Um, it, was a, it was a great test match as it unfolded. I don't know if you remember uh, the the great uh, Ring of Fire, the song uh, which Freddie, <laughs> which Freddie uh, started singing. I think it was day five or day four of uh, of the test match at lunchtime, and everybody started jumping, sort of joining in. And it was a it was a bizarre moment. It's not something you can just create. It just sort of happened. Um, and uh, yeah, we wanted to win the test match. Uh, got to play against one of my favourite batsmen, Sachin Tendulkar. Um, I got a few runs in the game and England went mm. on to win the Test match. Uh, we ended up drawing a series in India, which we haven't done for a very long time. And yeah, it's got to be that Test match. It was uh, an amazing five days. Um, and it was actually, funny enough, I wasn't actually even down to play the game. Um, I remember clearly the night before, they, um, uh, Duncan Fletcher announced a team. I wasn't in it. So that was the last test match of the three test match series. And I remember going to my bedroom thinking, Ugh, I've not, I, haven't got a, I haven't got the nod and I have to work hard next summer to try and break into the team. So I was like, oh, well, never mind. Uh, just get through the five days, do what I can for the team and, you know, um, and do what you have to do. And I remember on the morning of the game, I got on the bus and Duncan Fletcher said, uh, prepare to play um, as I walked past him on the coach. Uh, that was the only three words he spoke to me. Um, I think only th- you were blessed for them three words, mate. You didn't speak to me that many in ten years. I know. I was just going to say probably the only three words he spoke to me right throughout those three test matches. I don't even think he knew I was there. Um, but then uh, anyway, so uh, I walked under the bus and he said those words, and I was thinking, is that like a little test or something for me? Like I was thinking, he hasn't announced me in the team. I looked around; everyone's on the bus. I thought he's talking rubbish. I just went and sat down, listened to my iPod, and listened to my music, pretty relaxed. I got to the ground and um, you know just just sat around doing literally nothing because I knew I wasn't playing. And uh, next thing I know, Alistair Cook walks into the room and. Um, he was funny enough changing right next to me and I sort of noticed he had tears in his eyes and I was like, Cookie, are you okay? Mate, I know it's a test match, but you know, don't need to be so emotional. It's, you know, you've had a lovely start two test matches ago. You just scored a hundred. It'll be fine. And he said, look, I'm actually not well. And I think I'm going to miss out on the test match. And that's when the penny dropped. And I thought, oh, okay. I'm actually going to be playing this game. <laughs> so you were cheering. You were cheering yeah. inside. Did, you were going, "Go on, Cookie, that's it, man!" Because he don't miss many test matches, Cookie, and he still doesn't. I these think days. that was the only one. Oh, I, I think that's the only one. Yeah, I know. So I sort of, I was, I was jumping up and down inside, of course, and I went, "Oh, okay, mate, you'll be okay." And I quickly grabbed my gloves and back went outside, tried to get some throwdowns in. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Duncan Fletcher said, yeah, you're playing. Uh, Cookie's not well. He's going to go back to the hotel. So, yeah, it came about. Um, I was told I'm going to walk in at three, uh, which suited me fine because I'd done that for Middlesex most of my career. So everything just fell into place. And uh, I think I think game started like 10 o'clock. I think about, about quarter past nine, 20 past nine. I got the nod and, yeah, went in, got a few runs and had a great, great five days. Yeah, I bet you did. It was a 212-run win, actually. Um, it was Mumbai, wasn't it? Yeah, so, it was. So, uh, fantastic game. I do re- actually remember that. Um, I d- don't know how many exactly you got, but you did get runs in both innings. It was a good... 88. Uh, yeah, 88 and 38. Yeah, it was a, g- a good start. But then, 
I mean, this kind of summed up your career, didn't it, um, Ace, with um, with England? It was stop and start, wasn't it? I, I don't think you got picked again then for a, a, a long, long time, did you? Yeah, I, I, it was strange. I got dropped for a year and a half, um, which I couldn't really understand what I had to do. I felt I did enough to warrant uh, at least the first uh, test yeah. match of the summer. Any communication, Ace, on that? Or was it just a case of you left that game, obviously top of the world, thinking, right, I'm going to start next year. Um, I'm going to start the summer. I've just come off the back of a win, 212-run win, 88 and 30-odd in the second innings. And then you thought, wow, that's it. I, I didn't get picked. So was there any communication whatsoever? No, uh, none at all. Until I think it was, uh, you know how the the... the, the, the the team is selected for the first test match of the summer the week before that is when I um or I think a few days before the test match starts uh, where the guys uh, I think get together on a Monday evening and yep. a test match um and I was told by David Gramey that you're not in the team uh which I was uh, slightly shocked uh because I felt I had done enough but look chairman selectors rang me and says you're not in the team you're not in the team there's not a lot I can do about that Hmm. Um, you know, it, this is actually going to be a topic that maybe we'll, we were going to address a bit later on in the show. But did you feel you got a, a fair crack at being an international batsman at test level? Do you so, think you were given the chances that maybe other players got? I didn't feel at the test level, no. Um, I felt that I played that test match, then I got I went missing for a year and a half, and then I got another test match, uh, one-off test match, and then I got then I went missing again for a year. Um, which was, again, very strange. But then I got three test matches in a row where I felt I, I got some runs in the first test match back against the West Indies, in the West Indies. Mm. And then the next two test matches didn't quite go my way. And that was the end of my test career, which uh, I felt I'd done enough to perhaps get a bit more of a run. Um, but clearly not. But I think uh, it's just, I think at the time, uh, perhaps England were looking for... A quick fix, uh, I think, as we often do in Test cricket, um, need someone to come in and just, uh, you know, sort of take it away, grab the game by the scruff of the neck, and just all of a sudden come in and blasting runs. Um, I guess I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do that, especially for those last two Test matches in the West Indies, and then West Indies were coming here in the summer, and uh, yeah, I wasn't picked for that at all. Do you think, Ace, what what we tended to do in those days, if we're going to be really, really honest about it, and I think it's only getting worse now, is but we are pigeonholing players. And I think they, they got to the point where they kind of pigeonhole you as a an ODI player. Do you, do you feel as though that's what happened to you? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think... Uh, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they would have pigeonholed me then because I was. I mean, I was playing all forms of the game for England. Uh, but I think because I didn't score those games, I think they had one eye on the Ashes. And then, and I think, uh, I think it was Andy Flower, Andrew Strauss. I think they they felt that they wanted someone who they wanted who could get runs. Obviously, regularly, I didn't feel two test matches was enough, and I guess they weren't prepared to give me a long enough run. And I remember Ravi coming, Ravi Bhopara sort of coming mm. into the team, and he got runs, and then I, and then I think they wanted him to perhaps go into the Ashes, and which he did. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask about Ravi because in some ways there's there's similarities, isn't there? You're both you know extraordinarily naturally gifted. Uh, many people thought that you would play more Test cricket. 
Um, but Ravi's career was, was similar. It was, it was a very similar stop-start career um, in and around the same time. But at the end of it, he played a he played a handful more Test matches than you. I haven't got the exact uh, figures to hand. But in the end, it was more one-day cricket for him as well. It, it just gives the impression, as we've seen in all sport when it comes to England, when it comes to dealing with people who are, naturally do things um, that maybe aren't quite by the textbook, England, whether it's cricket or it's rugby or it's football, they just don't almost seem to know how to get the best out of these players. I've got another one for you. Vikram Solanke. Exactly the same. I play with Vic on loads of occasions. Hugely talented player. Risty, great against spin. And he's another one who didn't really get an opportunity playing test cricket. But loads uh, played, had loads of opportunities in one day cricket. He's another one, isn't he, Ace? Yeah, he is. Uh, It's just bizarre how some guys get a lot more of a run in in a certain form of the game and look how other guys get more Mm. of a run in a different form of the game. It's a bit bizarre. Mm. Um, I mean, perhaps, Darren, you are right. You know, maybe, maybe they do pigeonhole certain players. But, I mean, I didn't feel uh, like that in my own game that uh, I was more suited to one day or uh, test because it was only once I stopped getting picked for test cricket, that's when I started really concentrating more on the short-form game to try and really extend and really look into the detail of 2020 cricket. And from then on, I started looking into more short-form cricket. But before that, I was very much uh, trying to make sure, you know, I got as many four-day runs as I could, uh, trying to put my name in that uh, selection for the test cricket. Mm. Ace, being a talented youngster, because I remember when you when you came on the scene and there was so much talk about you, similar to um, Matt Rampagash, and you've been compared to him. As most of us young uh, fast bowlers come through, we always get compared to, uh, to Ian Botham. How did that stack up with you, Ace? Um, being compared to a, um, a fantastic player in ramps who obviously similar connection, playing at Middlesex, uh, England under 19s. So how did how did you handle that? Yeah, it was fine. I didn't have a problem with that. I um, I I remember I remember reading a report as a Middlesex under 11 player, uh, <laughs> guy chap called David Green. He was managing the Middlesex under 11s, and he wrote something about me. I didn't even know who Ramps was when I was 10, 11. I didn't know who the hell this guy was. Anyway, this um, the coach, the manager wrote that he I had certain uh, sort of similarities to the way Mark Ramprakash played. So I was like, okay, whoever this Mark Ramprakash is, uh, okay, let me look into him. So I looked up, looked him up and he was playing for Middlesex. I was like, okay, must be a good player because uh, I had a good summer that summer for Middlesex. Um, as time went on, um, you know, I think it, it, the way it worked out is when you're at a club, you always look up to the best player at the club. I'm sure uh, likes of Tim Bresnan and uh, Ryan Sidebottom would have looked up looked up to you, Darren. Uh, you know, mm. you you were playing for England. You were the best fast bowler Yorkshire had, and um, you know you were a class act. And same with Ramps. Um, and I just looked up to the guy who was the best player at the club, which was Mark Ramprakash, and uh, wanted to be as good as him because I knew he had set the standard at the club. Uh, obviously, he was following in, in the footsteps of the likes of uh, Bri- uh, Gatting and uh, players like that, who had obviously set the bar quite high. So. I knew that if I could be as good as that guy, surely I will be improving and I'm on the right path. So, look, it was good. Uh, and Rams was very friendly um, uh, with me coming into the team. I, I remember signing professionally at 15 for Middlesex, playing obviously second team cricket. And, 
yeah, you know, when when our paths just did cross, he was very friendly. He was very welcoming. He he uh, gave the odd bit of advice uh, when he was uh, when he was around uh, when he was into playing for England uh, in terms of how to go about batting and stuff. So yeah, he was very pretty friendly. And of course, I looked up to him. He was a he was a bit of a hero of mine when I was younger, uh, especially the ages of 16, 17, 18, around that time. Um, yeah, and look, he stacked up fine. I think he was a he was a class act. It was a joy to watch. Um, and yeah. Uh, really enjoyed playing at the same club as someone as good as him. Well, you might not have known who Mark Rampakesh was, but you certainly knew who uh, Wakar Yunus and Wazim Akram were uh, growing up, and we're, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, coming up on the show. You're listening to Owe Shah in conversation with uh, myself, John Norman, and Darren Goff on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. And pleased to say we're joined in the studio by the former Middlesex and England batsman Owais Shah. Um, Owais, I speak to many cricketers on this show and outside of this, of course, and uh, there's always tales of fathers or mothers driving kids to uh, to play cricket and, you know, the sacrifices that the, the old man's gone to just to uh, make sure there's a, a pair of whites ready for the start of the season and money being scarce and all that, but... Uh, well, your parents went one more, went slightly further than that, didn't they, to uh, make sure you got the start and the and the opportunities really to play cricket professionally. Yeah, for sure. I think it was more the opportunity. Um, I think I remember uh, what happened was when I was seven years old, my my dad worked in the airline and he got posted to England. So he obviously came here for a couple of years, and no intention of staying any longer than two years. We, we uh, so we so my dad did the whole posting thing in England and I went to school here a couple of years and then we decided to go back to Pakistan that's where I was born that's where I'm from uh, but in my last year of when I was nine sorry nine or ten or I think around that time um, I started having uh, some trials for Middlesex and um, they said look uh, you haven't quite got into the team of under 11s although I was 10 um, but look please stay in touch or whatever so anyway my dad worked in the airline so we got free tickets so we could travel at that time and that's unheard unheard of now I don't think you get any free tickets anymore um, so I, I kept coming back in the summer sort of June, July and uh, played for my club cricket here in England and also managed to sneak into the Middlesex system and played played a few games for them and that's where I mentioned earlier about that report that David Green uh, the manager wrote about me comparing me to Mark Rampakash and uh, that this went on for quite a few years, um, up until the age of 15 when Middlesex um, showed an interest and said, look, we would like you to perhaps uh, play, look to play professional cricket. Um, but I obviously explained to them, look, I'm going to struggle. I'm, I, you wouldn't sign me as a 15-year-old as an overseas player because I live in Pakistan. I would be considered an overseas player and... At that time, they had Desmond Haynes, so I think he might have got a few more runs than I would have. Um, but they said, look, uh, come over and try and qualify. So my parents decided to sort of come over and, and, uh, and qualify um, for, the, you know, for the residency, I guess you could call it, and so that I could qualify as a local player. And, uh, and that's what, exactly what happened. Uh, so my parents decided to uh, move from Pakistan to England. And, um, yeah, I got an opportunity to stay here, qualify, and I ended up playing for Middlesex, um, I think I was 17, I think, yeah, I think I was 17, 16, I think 16, I think I made my, 
made my uh, Sunday League debut. I'm, rem- I'm sure, Darren, you remember those days. Sunday League, I think they were called. Brilliant. Loved them, mate. Uh, the AXA Equity and Law League, I think it was called. <laughs> um, yeah, I played that. And then uh, I think I made my first class debut at 17. And I went on to play for England under 17s and, and what have you. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I guess, look, I'm grateful to my parents who decided to give me the opportunity. And um, I like to think I've repaid them by... By uh, by playing representing England, you definitely have ace. And I remember when you came into the side, because um, I was playing um, with England at that time when you came in, and and I used to um, admire you guys. There was a few of you. I mean, Vikram Solanke was studying hugely while he was still playing cricket, um, and you were doing exactly the same. And I just couldn't get in my head. I mean, because obviously, because I probably wasn't bright enough to go and go on and and do studies in university and stuff like that, but. While you were playing at the highest level, you were still going about studying and planning for the future, which I found absolutely amazing and I admired it so much. So just tell us a bit about that. What, what was that like while you were still playing the game? Well, I guess the connection there is uh, with the fact that my parents decided to you know, move halfway across the world because of an opportunity for me. But they also realised that it's a sport and sport can end at any time. Uh, it could also, at that age, can almost end before it's actually started. And they just felt that I needed to have a backup plan. Uh, I think it's a bit more of an Asian culture that, you know, your studies come first and sport comes second. But for me and my parents, they said, look, that is the case. Of course, you have to get your studies, but we do realise that your sport is a way into your career. You could potentially have a professional career. So, you know, they just said, look, you've got to get the balance right. You've got to, sure, you've got to go on a tour, but you also got to try and do your studies. So I did a, a business admin part-time course at Westminster University in Harrow. Uh, but I was only able to study for three months per year. So those three months, which were October, November, December, I was having to do studies, especially if we went on a tour or something like that, uh, just to make sure I did my um, did all my coursework and whatever I had to do, just to make sure I had that backup plan, as such, and uh, and uh, you know, just like I said, just in case something happened, an injury, a freak injury can happen and could end my career. Mm. Always, you made your family made you made so many sacrifices um, to to make it at Middlesex, uh, and you had a, a, a wonderful career there. But was there sour taste in the the manner of uh, the eventual divorce from the county, or did you did you walk away uh, from the club feeling uh, that uh, that everything was 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 fine and uh, it was the right time to go? Uh, look, definitely a sour taste. Of course, uh, it's the club I grew up at. Um, as, as I've just spoke about, I started at that club uh, since the age of eleven, uh, and I've played mm. right the way through. Um, up until the age of, I think, 32 when I got released by Middlesex. I think it was more the manner of how everything happened. Um, but also on the flip side, um, I actually think it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I think that if I had stayed on, I would have been just doing the same old thing. And uh, if I wasn't playing for England, I would have got just, you know, go out there, try and play um, and try and perform. Perhaps the standard might have dropped down because I wouldn't have had that carrot dangled in front of me in regards to playing for England because I think that would have just been taken away by the age I was 32. I think I got released from England. I wasn't playing anymore. So Mm. that made me sort of look at, once I got released by Middlesex, I really, really tried to look at my uh, 2020 stuff. I really tried to make sure that 
I could really improve my short form game to try and target the 2020 leagues that there are nowadays. Uh, I think in every, nearly in every cricket playing nation now has a 2020 league. So that was my plan. And um, that, I think just going back to that, it was more the mannerism of how things happened. Um, and it, look, it's happened uh, and that's mm. life. And, and and then I went, I moved on to Essex, but I, I clearly told uh, the Essex coach, look, I will always refer to Middlesex as my club. Yes, I'm playing for Essex and then I later on played for Hampshire a couple of years, but Middlesex will always be my club because that's where I come from. And, uh, and even now, I always check Middlesex and I always refer to Middlesex as my club. And that's just how it is. Sure, the matter of uh, the way things happened, that uh, wasn't very nice, but that's all happened. Um, but like I mentioned also that it was one of the best things that happened to me and it sort of gave me a kick of the backside to say, okay, uh, I might have been in a bit of a comfort zone and now it's time to look at my 2020 career and perhaps I can, uh, if I really improve, if I can really perform under pressure, um, then perhaps, you know, other 2020 leagues like your IPLs, your Big Bash, will look at me and uh, actually turned out that I did get the opportunity to play in all those leagues and I guess in a way I was thankful for being released by Middlesex. Do you know something? I I totally get the uh, it's your club because I went on to Essex and I would always refer to Yorkshire as my club and I still do now. I had three good years at Essex but Yorkshire is their club so I totally get 100% there. But just talk to us about these 2020 leagues because obviously it's something I would have loved to have played in Ace. The IPL, the opportunity to come along. Not many England players have actually been in it, a handful. Uh, but you got the opportunity. Uh, you played at a few clubs uh, within the IPL. You probably the most su- successful start was you uh, was when you were replaced Warney at Rajasthan Royals, wasn't it? Yeah, I um I so I I got I, my first stint at the IPL was with Delhi Daredevils. So we were I was part of an extraordinary team at Delhi I mean um, they were able to have obviously four international cricketers but also the four um, sorry the rest of the team also included nearly four or five uh, international Indian cricketers so all of a sudden you've got eight or nine international cricketers (laughs) on the field at any time and you know I think that was IPL number two or perhaps three and it was an amazing experience I mean I didn't get a game from them but just being around uh, those guys was is an amazing amazing experience how they go about training and things like that and just dealing with pressure and all that sort of stuff and that was a wonderful experience for me the the best time off my IPL was later on at Rajasthan Royals mm. um, I had two summers uh, two uh, summers uh, I guess there yeah, Indian summers I guess I did two stints there uh, where I was able to perform and uh, I really really enjoyed it uh, and the fact that I didn't get any games at Delhi I requested to go into the transfer window so that I could get picked up by another team and Calcutta Knight Riders came in for me and I moved there and I actually played the first, I think, five or six games for them uh, before I think they were waiting for Chris Gale to arrive and plays like that. So that's what, where my first opportunity came to sort of don the pads and the gloves and the bat and actually walk out there in front of you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000. I think it was 60,000 at KKI in Calcutta. Eden Gardens um, and I got an opportunity there and it was it was an experience that you know you don't even feel that when you play in England I mean England we only have what 25 maybe 30,000 the most um, the biggest ground we have but over there I mean you've got 60,000 people and especially when you play against the Mumbai Indians and a certain Sachin Tendulkar walks out and he hits the first ball for for an <laughs> extra cover drive for 
you have not heard the noise like <laughs> it. I certainly haven't. It is it is it's crazy. It's it's the sort of stuff that you know, the hair at the back of your neck really stand up and you go, Oh my god. That was A, it was a great shot. B, the crowd is going mad. And this is the first ball of the game. It's uh, it's 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 amazing stuff. Um, and then obviously the whole city breathes and sleeps and drinks and eats cricket. It's not like you can go somewhere and not talk about IPL. It's not like London where you know you you might be playing in a test match and then you might go out for dinner and no one might recognise you. It's not like that over there. The whole country knows who you are. <laughs> Even the the guy serving you food at a restaurant knows exactly who you are. He probably knows your stats and he probably knows how badly or how well you did in the last game. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing experience to be part of it for the best part of what nearly six weeks, two months. Ace, just talk to us about this, the, the, the auction uh, thing because there's been a lot of criticism of the way the auction's done. I mean, how did it go about with you? Did you watch it live? Did you see your figures going up and thinking, keep going, keep going? I mean, what's it like from a player when he sees his name flash up and there is a price next to him, a reserve price or wherever it may be, and it, people just keep bidding for you? What's it feel like as a player? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's very nervous stuff. I mean, you you see other names come up. And, of course, yeah, I followed it on um, on the internet. Um, and uh, they do a live feed kind of thing. And, you know, and then you go, okay, oh, my God, he's got that much money, blah, blah, blah. And then... And then you go, and then someone goes, oh, wait, shot. And you just take a deep breath and you go, come on, someone's got a bid for me. Someone's got to go for me. And then as soon as the first one, first guy bids, you know you're guaranteed to play in the IPO firstly and obviously that amount. And then you go, you know what, whatever's meant to be is meant to be, but I know I'm playing in the IPO and I'm getting that minimum amount. And it's a great, and it's, it's great mm-hmm. fun. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a small fortune that you can earn over, what, six, seven, eight weeks. Um, there's nowhere else in the part of the world where you get an opportunity to do that. And it's just a lot of fun. And um, yeah, look, I, look, it's a fact that it's financially very, very rewarding. Um, there's no running away from that. But it's also not just that. It's more the experience of playing in the league and playing alongside some of the cricketers that perhaps you uh, admire or grew up wanting to play with or against. I mean, I was, I've been fortunate enough to play uh, in the same team as Ricky Ponting. I've played in the same team as Jack Callis, uh, two of the, in my view, two of the greatest batsmen to have played the game. Uh, I got to meet Sachin Tendulkar and, you know, talk to him uh, away from the cricket at uh, one of the IPL parties and stuff like that. So those opportunities you just don't get. A.B. De Villiers, I've shared a dressing room with A.B. De Villiers. I mean, what a class act he is. Um, and things like that, you just... You know, if you're just playing for your country, you don't get those opportunities. And you can, as as a batsman, you're always trying to improve, trying to always be consistent. So you always get an opportunity to to see how the best practice, how the best go about their business. And you can always learn and improve. Even if it improves you 1%, hey, you've improved. Always brilliant. Uh, we've had a little look back. Uh, coming up, we're going to look forward just to see where you think the game's going and, and maybe tap into some more of those uh, wonderful memories. It's uh, the cricket fan in you and the passion for the game still very, very evident. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week in conversation with Owes Shah on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. 
Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2 with me, John Norman, and, of course, Darren Goff. And we're joined in the studio by the former England and Middlesex man and Delhi Daredevils, Registrar Royals. Uh, Oase, I'm sure you've been asked to name all the teams you've played for. I won't do that here. But, uh, <laughs> Check we'll, him out for we'll, an hour. Oh, well, exactly. That's the, that's the last bit of the show done. Um, Oase, just before the break, we were talking, or you were talking, um, eloquently about what it was like to be fielding or playing on the pitch as Sachin Tendulkar smokes a, a four through extra cover. Um, now, IPL one, I think Dimitri Mascarenas may have been the only Englishman playing in, in the tournament, if memory serves. You were playing IPL two to five, I think. But, you know, when you were standing out on the field and you're thinking, this, this is something else, was there a feeling then that... Whilst there weren't many English over there at the time, it was only a matter of time before uh, the English started to get uh, a little bit interested in the fans, the spectacle and the money. Yes, uh, I I always felt that. Look, we've always had talent in this country without a shadow of a doubt. Um, even, you know, you go back 20, 30 years, it doesn't matter. We have always had talent in this country. And I knew that, the amount of 2020 cricket we played, it will be only a matter of time that some some of the players will have to be looked at. Um, I mean, the standard of our 2020 cricket, yeah, it's good. Obviously, it's not as good as IPL because you've got international cricketers playing in that all the time. But we certainly have got some phenomenal guys playing the, that form of the game. And it's showing that right now uh, with the way the England team are playing. Um, and yeah, look, at the time it was uh, it was a new thing, IPO, and it was an opportunity to go out there and and uh, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, for sure, people people work paid very, very well for those six, seven weeks, but um, spending eight, seven weeks in India uh, with a tough regime, you know, you, you travel, you practice, you played, you traveled, you practice, you played, and it can take a little bit out of you. I'm not saying that it was hard work. It was... It was enjoyable work. Yeah, it was tough at times, but look, I had an amazing time and I wouldn't ever swap it for, for anything. When you think about it, Ace, and uh, some of the players, like Jimmy Anderson went into the auction, I think, five times, tried to get to the IPL, and not one team, he's the best bowler in the world, and he has been the best bowler in the world, and not one team ever, ever picked him up. It, 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 the old selection uh, part of the IPL comes under criticism now and again, but they just don't seem to want to go for the test players from England. Yeah, you're correct. I think it's more to do with value for money. Uh, secondly, the availability. Um, and also, they're also trying every year, they seem to be trying to really go for guys who are specifically good at white ball cricket. I don't know if Jimmy Anderson has ever been the number one or the best bowler in white ball cricket. Red ball Boy, he he's a serious, seriously good bowler. Uh, but I don't know whether they 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 would consider him as a class act in, when it comes to white ball stuff. Um, and they're very, you know, when it comes to the English players, they they seem very. Uh, God, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, but very uh, very judgmental. They really want someone to go. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, okay, he is. He's uh, he's a good bowler, yeah, for sure. But will he be available? Will we get all? Will he, does he walk into the team every single time? And all this sort of stuff comes up. Um, it doesn't also help that you know there aren't any English coaches in the IPL. There are a lot more um, Australians and New Zealand and those t- uh, coaches from those countries. So of course they're going to go for players who they have seen day in day out and perform in their domestic structure and how the coaches feel these guys can. 
uh, fit into a team and perform to the best of their ability. So you look, and and hence, if you if you do look at it, there are a lot of Australian players playing in IPL, and they have done since day one. Mm. I mean, you would call the kind of uh, the word they used to use is for for players like yourself that were going around these T20 tournaments. Around was gun for hire almost, wasn't it? I mean, in cricketing terms, where you used to go around, play the IPL, play some of the Bangladesh Cricket League and, and BBL and all this stuff. But we've now seen young players, and just to give you an example, you'll have seen him. A guy called Geoffrey Archer is trying to qualify. He can Well, it takes him five more years or something uh, to qualify to play for England. He could play for the West Indies tomorrow. Uh, but this kid has just come onto the scene, hasn't he, um, in the Big Bash. Uh, came from nowhere, really, if we're going to be honest. Um He's done brilliantly over there. He obviously plays for Sussex. He's now got an unbelievable million-dollar contract to play in the IPL. Can you ever see him playing Test cricket, Ace, or do you think he'll just become a, a kind of a gun for iron and go around the world? Well, it's a tough one, tough one to answer, isn't it? Um, you like to think that, um, you know, the values uh, that you, we all grow up with. Uh, certainly, for me, growing up playing cricket it was all about test cricket and yes I I am aware of the fact that there is 2020 cricket now I know that and I, and I think 2020 cricket is here to stay um, it's all I guess it depends on the individual what how he prioritizes uh, his cricket and how he wants to finish his career uh, does he want to be a specialist white ball cricket or does he want to say in uh, 25 30 years time look back on his career and say you know what I played test cricket and test cricket is the ultimate test. There's no running away from it. It's it's the best and the highest form of the game where you can test your skills against the best players in the world. And it all depends on the individual to say what route you want to go down. Um, I think 2020 cricket will always be there. And Jofra Archer, what a, a phenomenal talent that he is, he will always have the opportunity to play all these 2020 leagues. There's plenty of time to do in that. And like you mentioned, he's got another four or five years before he qualifies. So he can do all that in the winter, but then in the summer, as long as he's tearing up uh, county cricket in the Red Bull stuff, that's all he can really do. Because um, if you didn't have these 2020 leagues, what will he be actually doing in the winter? Because nowadays, bowlers are very much protected. They're not uh, encouraged to go away and play six months of club cricket in the winter. They, you know, they've been told, rest your body. Uh, and start maybe start bowling in, say, January, once you finish the season in September. So all he'll be doing is playing six months of cricket, but actually he has a got an opportunity to improve his 2020 cricket, short-form cricket, and if he does decide to play international cricket for England, well, we've got a class act in the white ball game, and his red ball game is going to hopefully improve playing county cricket for the next five years. So I guess to answer your question, mate, it all depends on him and how he mm. how he prioritizes um, a test cricket compared to short form cricket and the money aspect of it. You know, you can become a very very wealthy young man playing twenty twenty leagues all over the world, but uh, sometimes you got to look at the bigger picture and think, yeah, mm. okay, you can earn money. Of course, everybody would like to earn money, but also, you know what, look back in your career and 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 be able to sleep at night to say, you know what, I did it the right way. Um, and I and I and I gave myself an opportunity in Test cricket, and I gave myself an opportunity in the short form cricket. Owais, what advice would you give a twenty-two-year-old Owais Shah in the same in the same way you're giving to uh, Jofra Archer? If you could go back, what would you say to myself? Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, 
it's uh, I think at times uh, look back and I just think uh, I tried I tried to um, I tried to keep improving as much as I could. Um, perhaps I could have been a bit more uh, savvy off the field compared to on the field. Uh, I think for me. Uh, I tried my hardest to improve and trying to be consistent because I thought that is what was required uh, to perform and uh, hopefully you get picked on that. But at times, I think you also got to have good relationships off the field, uh, coaches, managers, selectors or whatever. Uh, and I think perhaps I should have looked at that a bit more in a bit more detail and and um, trying to maintain relationships a bit better perhaps. Mm, couldn't we all? I mean, what are you doing now, Ace? I mean, what what what's the Ace? I saw you actually hosting a longest drive competition. I'm sure it was a longest drive competition over in Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I mean, is uh, do you enjoy stuff like that? Yeah, I love it. I love. Uh, I, I I sort of looked into commentary. I've looked into presenting, and I would love to do uh, do stuff like that. So an an opportunity came along uh, last year to host um, the World Drive World Longest Drive World Series. Uh, competition in Dubai and I said yes I've never done anything like that before but I thought I really if I can if somebody asked me if I can do something I really try and imagine it if I and I feel if I can see myself doing it then I say yes to it and then I just did some media training and I went for it and I really really enjoyed it um, I guess for me it's about uh, trying different things um, I love I love talking about the game the cricket Look, the reason why, even today, why I'm on the show is because of my cricket. Um, there's no running away from it, and I love the game. Uh, I'm passionate about it. Uh, I would love England to keep winning and and go on to get you know World Cups and Ashes wins, and I would love to be able to talk about it. So yeah, look, that's something I tried to do, and and it was an opportunity opportunity that came along, and yeah, I took it. Uh, and at the moment, I'm uh, I'm doing a few things. I'm, uh, I'm I've been a property developer alongside my cricket for the last seven or eight years, uh, which I'm doing uh, with a, a close. Uh, I guess he's an older brother of mine. You can call him. Um, he's really looked after me in terms of showing me the ropes in ter- in regards to the real world. I think when we play cricket, we or play as a sportsman, I think you live in a bubble. And when that cricket finishes, um, you got to step into the, out into the real world and and try and, uh, and make a living. And uh, so I've been very grateful to him. But King Mead Homes is the name of the company, so I work with him. Uh, but also, that also has given me an opportunity to, to do other stuff. I, had a, I, did a, I was a head coach of UAE Cricket uh, nearly, nearly a year ago. I did that stint for three months. So it, it frees me up to do little stints. Um, and right now I'm organizing a, uh, a cricket event uh, with celebrities uh, from Bollywood and... Uh, some of the past cricketers in Dubai uh, at the end of March, uh, a six-a-side tournament, uh, which I'm something I'm trying to put together with a very good friend of mine. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm busy with. Um, I'm all, I'm off to play some uh, cricket in Switzerland next uh, this week. I think uh, it is. Yeah, I think it's this week. Cricket on ice. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm off to do that on Wednesday. Uh, so yeah, look, all that sort of coming along, and yeah, just try and stay busy and and enjoying life at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I certainly can't complain where I am at not right now. Brilliant stuff. Well, Oase, uh, really appreciated you joining us. It's been fascinating to uh, to look back and just talk about uh, some of the aspects of your career and and where you think the game's going. But uh, it's also great to know that you're you're still enjoying life. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's uh, Oase Shah uh, joining us on Darren Goff's Cricket Week uh, on Talk Sport Two. 
Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. I tell you what, Goffy, I was looking at the, uh, the newspapers, online editions down under here, in, and it's been absolutely, uh, it's been toasty, to say the least. I see another cold snaps coming in, uh, so good luck with that. And uh, whilst the, the county championship might seem like uh, a lifetime uh, till it comes around, it, uh, it does appear that uh, the clubs are getting ready. And heading off to uh, sunnier climbs, not quite as far as coming down here this way, although uh, New Zealand and Australia is pretty nice. Um, and th- th- with, the, with the county season coming up and being so many counties, we thought we'd start early here on Down Goss Cricket Week and uh, uh, feature a different county every week in the build-up to the new season. And, well, Goffey, where better? What, what county could we possibly start with? What do you reckon? Uh, Yorkshire. <laughs> the only one, the White Rose. <laughs> it's got to be, isn't it? I'm pleased to say that we're uh, we're joined by the captain as well, Andrew Gale, ahead of flying off to South Africa, I believe. Is that right? We're going out to Potchefstroom, uh, which is sort of in the outback of South Africa for a, a couple of weeks. It's a really good training camp there. I've been there a couple of times before. You sort of live on a university campus. The nets are right next door. The, the, the test ground uh, next door as well. Um, Nottinghamshire will be there as well. So we'll have a, a really good build-up to the season. Yeah, I mean, um, I've heard so. I've played at Pottersdrum, uh, Gailey, and um, it, it was a great um, place back then when it was first came on the scene. They had the pitch, but they had nothing really. They had the university, obviously, but uh, it looks like it, it tends to be the place to go now. I mean, England use it, don't they, with their their fast bowlers uh, set. They all go out there for three or four weeks and um, and train in Pottersdrum. Are the pitches really good? Yeah, I mean, out the back of the test ground now, there's probably about 20 lanes for nets. Uh, there's two other cricket fields as well. You've got an unbelievable gym. Olympic athletes go out there, all the nutrition that's provided. And, um, you know, there's there's not much else to do. So, um, you know, it keeps the lads focused. And because you're living on top of each other, it sort of creates a, a bit of team spirit going into the season as well. And it helps at altitude. So when you get back, you sort of hit the ground running. Mm. And just just fill everybody in uh, for people that are listening, Gary's. But how does it work now? Back in our day, just to give you a clue, because you weren't playing back in my day when I started. It was turn up April the first, right? Catch fifty catches with your hands, have a little bowl and bat, and then go play three or four days later. Well, four or five days later in your first first class match of the season. What's it like mm. these days? Is it a twelve month? Do you get any break whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, it's massively changed, you know, since the end of the season, finish at the end of September. The lads have five or six weeks off, but they were they were back in the second week of November. They get fit, fitness tested to see where they're at first up. Um, up to Christmas, um, you know, they hit the ground running with a fitness. We started doing a little bit of cricket three weeks before Christmas. Um, but, you know, we, we probably only get five or six weeks off in, in a full year. Um, gone are the days where you could just rock up the, the 1st of April, the lads are in unbelievable condition now. Um, you know, the diet and nutrition that's that's changed around cricket has been has been massive. Um, you know, every year it's getting closer and closer to football and you know, the lads work in sort of three week blocks at the minute. We do three really tough weeks and then we have a week off. Um because you know, because it is such a long pre season, we've got to keep the lads mentally fresh as well. Um, 
you know, we don't want them burning out by sort of May time um, when we've got to be putting the results in on the pitch. So, yeah, I mean, it's changed, it changed massively. The lads are very, very professional these days. Uh, there's a lot that's changed uh, dramatically, really, Gailey, since uh, since Goffey's day for sure. And, you know, the IPL draft is something we talked about on the show this time last week. Uh, for you as a coach, are you kind of watching that thinking uh, you're, you're about to find out what players are going to be available for Yorkshire at the start of the season or might not be available for Yorkshire? It must be a, a bit of a bizarre position to find yourself in. It is. I mean, cricket's in a difficult position at the minute. It's going to come to a real crossroads, I think, over the next two or three years. You know, we had five lads in the IPL auction this year, and we could have been without five players at the start of the season. I mean, we sort of expected uh, Root and Bairstow to get picked up. We don't see much of them anyway, but it's the other ones like Plunkett, Willie, Rashid. Um, you know, the way their careers are going. They're playing a lot of white ball cricket, going to a lot of tournaments around the world in the winter. Um you know, and it's coming to a crossroads of you know where whether them players have still got the desire to play red ball cricket because um, there's so much money around in in uh, these tournaments around the world. They want to have longevity in their careers to earn this money. So it's a difficult one for the counties at the minute, and um, you know it's going to be interesting to see which way it goes. Mm. Kelly, just talk me through the the process of. Um... Now you're the obviously the coach and have been for a couple of seasons. How does it go about picking your overseas? Some counties tend to go for a guy who's not as well known, um, who's available for most of the season. Yorkshire, which I'm pleased for by the way, tend to go for the big names most of the time. You have gone and done a wild card pick every so often, a Jake Lehman or something like that. But the Pajara and Kane Williamson are two fantastic overseas players. Yeah, I mean it's becoming harder and harder to sign anyone of any quality, you know, to get someone like Pajara and Williamson, who are number four and number six in the world in test oh. cricket, is a little bit unheard of, really, in county cricket. It's taken us a long time to get those deals together, and it's just a bit of a jigsaw because, you know, yes. filling the season in the gaps um, where they're available and where they're not available. You know, we're lucky that Pajara's not in the IPL. To get someone of that quality early season, most um, top players are in the IPL. We could have taken a risk and, and waited till after the IPL auction and see what were available, someone like Amla. Um, but then you think, well, what, what happens if they turn around and say they want to rest and, and they don't want to play any cricket in that period? Then that's a big risk to take. So, you know, to get two players of that calibre is hard work. It's taken us, you know, three, four months to um, put the deals together for them and, and piece it together where we'll only miss having an overseas player for two or three weeks of the season. But, you know, that said, with international cricket, we've... Um, We've had best-made plans in the past. You know, last year we had Peter Hanscom. He got they, they decided to put a Bangladesh series in the middle of the season. Did uh, cricket Australia, so he has to leave early. Then Sean Marsh, we had uh, he got called back early to go. Had play some warm-up games for Western Australia. So getting people of any quality now in county cricket as obviously his players um, is a nightmare. And you put your best-made plans together like we have for next season, but who knows that could change at the drop of a hat. Mm. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy South Africa. And it will be fascinating to see the team that uh, you put out there. First game of the season when it comes around. And uh, it gets a little bit warmer here back in uh, back in England. But uh, appreciate your time on the show. Thanks. Cheers, Goffey. Thanks, mate. Good luck, mate. Thank you. That's uh, Andrew Gale, the Yorkshire coach, of course. A uh, bit of a brain fade. It does give you a, a fascinating insight, though, doesn't it, Goffey? It uh, seems to me that uh, it's much easier to play the game 
than uh, than get into the old the coaching and the management side of things because you know it's about power, isn't it? Back in the day, if you're a Yorkshire coach, you could probably ring any player in the world <laughs> and say, you know, come and play for us for the summer. Now you've uh, you, you, there's no way you could get them for the whole whole shebang. You've got to get about three of them and uh, fit round yeah. their plans. Do you know something? It is amazing when you you talk to the cricketers uh, today, the coaches, because I played for Yorkshire when we didn't have any overseas players. I was there when the first one came along, and it was a legend. It was supposed to be Craig McDermott who pulled out, and then yes, we ended yeah. up getting uh, Sachin Tendulkar, a seventeen-year-old uh, kid. <laughs> what, uh, whatever was, happened to him? I know, which was pretty special, and um, I, I'm really pleased with that. But Yorkshire tend to go for the big name. I've been mm. disappointed a few times over the last few years when they've gone just for. A, they tended to go for Adelaide. It was the, it used to be the uh, Adelaide Academy, didn't it, where we were developing <laughs> Jason Gillespie's players, um, yeah. which kind of bothered me um, a little bit. But um, it's I, easier it, paid it, off for them. Yeah, it's pleasing now. But we've uh, gone for players like Pajara and for Ken Williamson, two absolutely fantastic players. Uh, and Pajara's played for Yorkshire before. Uh, I think he also played for Knotts and possibly Derby. I think he's been around actually Pajara yeah. uh, County games. So. Uh, it's it's a good sign, and Yorkshire are looking in good health for the start of the season. Last year missed a lot of players. This year they could have too many players. Mate, it's going to be uh, interesting. And look, we're going to be doing this every week. So you've had your moment in the sun, and uh, no doubt uh, Surrey will be appearing at some point. But uh, yeah, it'll be absolutely fascinating to see. And of course, we will be covering the county championship on this show. But that uh, pretty much brings us to the end of the program, Goffey. It's absolutely flown. Uh, it's been uh, busier than transfer window day. And uh, yeah, well, it's just—it's been an absolute blast. So, uh, see you next week, I guess. Mm-hmm. I will see and, you next uh, week as usual, mate. Ab- absolutely, and a big thanks to our guest today, Melinda Farrell. Uh, looking back at the Big Bash and the Women's Big Bash finals from uh, Australia, Crofty, Robert Croft—that was brilliant. I absolutely love that as our, our test of time. Actually, Goff, we've got to think about who we're going to get on next week. And uh, Owe Shah, of course, uh, in the studio with us. So uh, appreciate all of their time and yours. Thanks for listening to the show. It's Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.